Välkomna till Fritankes podd, Christer Sturmark heter jag, förlagschef på vetenskapsförlaget Fritanke. Jag vill börja med att tacka alla er som kom till Cirkus den 19 oktober. Tack för att ni kom, tack för att ni gjorde det till en fantastisk kväll med Richard Dawkins, Lawrence Krauss, Jana Levin. Vetenskapen fullständigt genomsyrade luften där och jag hoppas att det ska bli lika lyckat nästa gång om en månad ungefär när vi har... Daniel Dennett och Nick Boström på samma scen. Det finns fortfarande biljetter kvar till den föreställningen. Nu ska vi träffa en av deltagarna från Circus, nämligen rymdprofessorn, kosmologiprofessorn Lawrence Krauss. Han är ju lite grann av fysikens bad boy. Han älskar att provocera eh, och, och syns mycket i media. Det finns hur mycket klipp och debatter som helst med honom på Youtube. Men nu ska ni få träffa honom i Fritankespod, Lawrence Krauss. Lawrence Krauss, welcome to Fritanke podcast. It's great to be here. Your new book is in Swedish called Den största berättelsen until now hittills. Um, uh-huh. What is coming next? Well, people always ask me that and I say, you know, what the next big thing is. Now we say, if I knew I'd be doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the wonderful thing about discovery is it's a discovery. <laughs> If, and that means you don't know what's going to happen. And that's that's really important that, you know, we can try and expect where things will come. But in science, nature continues to surprise us. But you call this story that you have written down the the biggest intellectual adventure in, in, in human history. Yeah, I think what the, what greater adventure can there be than to try and understand that address in a, in a scientific way the question, why are we here? to try and understand the fundamental structure of the universe that allowed for our existence and in the process and it's a wonderful story because it's not a it's not a linear story there's there's red herrings there's dead ends there's there's you there's biases scientists individually are biased and 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 have uh, and pigheaded but the wonderful thing about science is that it overcomes that and the science can overcome that so it's a story that that takes you well in this case all the way from plato right to the most right the discovery of the higgs and beyond but i think the this this human intellectual journey to bravely go wherever nature takes us and to devote a lifetime simply to answer fundamental questions and at the same time build an enterprise that brings tens of thousands of people together from hundreds of countries speaking dozens of languages is really what science is all about. It's a great story because science can bring people together, not like religion, which tends to separate them. <laughs> science mm. brings people together. and and But for me, the best part of the title, and I, I don't know if the title is that way in Swedish, is is the so far part. Is that It's not yeah. just the greatest story ever told. Yeah, so it's, far. It's, it's so it far is. good because, because the story will get better tomorrow mm. than it is today because every day the story gets better because... We're not writing it in some sense. Nature is, and and that's what makes it so interesting because it, it the imagination of nature exceeds our own. But you're saying that science brings people together and religion keeps them apart. But is, is that really true? I mean, there's a lot yeah. of fights in science as well. Yeah, well, there are fights, <coughs> but you know, I'll give you an example of of uh, <coughs> uh, uh, you know I've talked about in in actually a field of, of gravitational waves, which I've worked in, but. There, you know, there were two, there was a claimed discovery of gravitational waves a few years ago by one group, and there was another group um, that that uh, this was in the causing microwave background radiation, and another group with a satellite desperately wanted the first group to be wrong, and they 
And in fact, they published a paper showing they could be wrong. And so the two groups were, you know, they clearly, obviously, each one thought the other would be wrong. There'd be pr prizes if they won if, and, uh, and all that if they were right. But they didn't cut each other's heads off. They didn't. They did, what they did is they said, hey, let's do a, let's do a, let's collaborate. Because in the end, it didn't matter to them who was right. What mattered was what was right. Mm. And so, of course, there's, there's scientific feuds and there's science. I mean, because scientists are human. That's a secret, but mm. it's really true. <laughs> but, but ultimately, the, the process of science brings them together because they can't afford not to. Because y y that science doesn't work if you work on your own and independently and, and never interact with others and don't take advantage of the, of the material that other people have, have taught you or the data that other people have. So, so, yeah, of course, science is a human activity and it's subject to fads and feuds and everything else. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, the scientists come together because what they really care about is what's right, not who's right. Um, <clears throat> you you also talk about in the book that uh, you have to sort of leave all the dogmas behind, uh, b b religious of course, but also scientific dogmas. Absolutely, is that the true story? Well, I you mean, were drinking, but the point is, you have to leave them behind. And scientists don't do that any more easily than anyone else. No, they scientists get dragged kicking and screaming, <laughs> to, and that's the story that I'm telling you. That, that they didn't want to give up these predilections, these biases for certain ideas, and they only gave them up when nature sort of forced it to be the case. So nature, science, as I often say, is, is, is one of the purposes of science is to make us uncomfortable. Because if you're comfortable, you're never learning anything. So being uncomfortable means you're being dragged out of your myopic picture and your dogma. And, and science forces that because it's based on experiment. It's not based on a bunch of people agreeing in a room and agreeing to always agree and make sure everyone else agrees, which again is, is like religion and where, where everyone, no one wants to depart from the dogma and everyone tries to make sure. I mean, the, we don't need, the fact that churches run every Sunday, I'm convinced is necessary because it's so ridiculous that people have to keep repeating it every Sunday in order to finally, you know, in order to not forget about it the next week. We don't have to have quantum mechanics classes every Sunday because it works. <laughs> but isn't the case that I'm thinking of Fred Hoyle, for example, who never accepted the Big Bang idea yeah. because of his hardcore atheist beliefs. He thought Big Bang was a crypto-religious idea. Well, he, he may have been. That's right. But he didn't. But what happened is he got left by the wayside. Yeah, that's true. And Einstein didn't accept quantum mechanics no. and he got left by the wayside scientists are, you know, one of the problems I have when I often hear philosophers talk about science is they quote scientists as if quoting them makes a difference. The scientists don't matter. It's the science that does. Mm, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're not very fond of philosophers. I no, know no. That. I just, the attitude that somehow you rely on authority mm. is an anathema to science. And I, and I think, unfortunately, some philosophers tend to work by quoting, you know, in the case of philosophy, brilliant philosophers who've thought critically. I can understand that. But in science, it's the, it's the results that matter. It's not the people who talk about the results. And, and scientists are wrong individually as often as they're right.
yeah. But but tell me, I mean, there there are many phenomena in physics that are very hard to understand intuitively, like quantum physics or gravitational waves, for that matter. They're I all mean, hard to understand. That's and, what and, makes it so wonderful. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. But my 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 question is, that some have the attitude of shut up and calculate. Don't worry about how to understand it. Just make it works mathematically. Make it work mathematically. Yeah. What what do you think about that? Should we should we stop caring about entanglement and superpositions? Well, and we do, but you know that's again a misconception. We do shut up and calculate when it comes to quantum mechanics, but that doesn't mean we don't want to understand it. Mm -hmm. Entanglement is an important phenomenon. We can use it. Mm -hmm. It it's what you don't need to do is spend a lot of time arguing about things that you can't use. And that's so, true. But so so. You can talk about whether the many worlds interpretation is the best interpretation of quantum mechanics. You can have those kind of debates and arguments forever, but it's but that's metaphysics. It doesn't affect anything. Entanglement is a real phenomenon, and mm. it's very confusing. And action at a distance is, and these questions are provocative. But again, the most interesting work therein is done by physicists, not philosophers of quantum mechanics. But will we have an intuitive understanding of that one day? Do you think? I don't think so. Maybe quantum computers, when they become intelligent and self-aware and do physics, will have a better understanding than we will. But as <laughs> okay. my friend Richard Dawkins uh, has often said when we've been together and may say when we're together here tomorrow, um, uh, or well, tomorrow is, is the, day, the day after you and I are talking, and I don't know when this will be broadcast. Yeah, but, um, very soon. So we, we, you know, we evolved on the savannas in, in, in Africa to escape lions, not to understand quantum mechanics. It's not too surprising that... These ideas uh, can't be really intuitively understood because we're classical beings. We we the the we experience a world that is that is totally removed from that. That's what my book is about in some sense is how physics has the world we live in is an illusion. And yeah, and, yeah. and how in 400 years we've cut through that illusion is amazing and I think it has a lesson for the real world because if science can cut through the illusion of reality in this incredibly complex world, it can cut through the illusion of reality and politics. We need the same kind of techniques, the same kind of skepticism and testing to be able to get overcome the, the Trumps of the world. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get back to Trump, but let me ask you first. Exactly, your book is about the nature of reality, and you say it's an illusion. And I, I, I like to think of it like, for example, the, the graphical user interface of a computer, like a Mac or Windows yeah. PC. Uh. It's also a, an illusion because it's not at all how the computer works, yes. but it's a useful It's a useful illusion. And, illusion. and, and, and obviously the illusion we have of reality is very useful to us because it allows us to survive. That's what I mean. Yeah. Evolution has, has taught us exquisitely well how to, how to use the illusion of reality to survive. Um, what is amazing is that an offshoot of that has resulted in a consciousness and an intellect that has allowed us to go beyond that hmm. um, to, to, you, to begin to understand the world in ways that didn't necessarily directly relate to our survival. And the fact that we can do mathematics and the fact that we can do science is a wonderful offshoot. It has changed everything. Hmm. It's a product of, 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 of human intellect, but it's... Um, it's and now we understand how to use how so we can on a basic level we can use the illusion of reality to play baseball or or, or soccer, um, but now we can use we can go beneath that and use what we really know to make quantum computers or or to build devices that allow us to detect gravitational waves or to detect the Higgs particle. It is remarkable how we can extend 
our reality um, once we realize that, that our reality is an illusion. So you, you, you're, you're right in the book that reality is a, it's a paradox, it's wild, it's counterintuitive. What exactly do you mean by that? Is it the quantum phenomena you're... Well, quantum mechanics is counterintuitive and quantum mechanics doesn't make sense in any no. classical way. But it's beyond that. It's, it, it's every, uh, the fact that what really is important to me is that the universe we experience is an accident. It's a, that, every, that the things we think have fundamental significance are just coincidences, are just uh, accidents of our circumstances, as I described very clear, clearly, I hope, in the book, or it, just as an ice, crystal, ice crystals on a window can point in random directions... And as I point out, uh, if you lived on one of them, you'd think the direction you live in is very, uh, that it points in is very significant, and religions would be based on why that direction was there. But we now understand that, that of course, that's an accident. The things that make the universe seem like it's designed for us are just as much of an accident, and they could have been another way, and they weren't, and it had that been that way, we wouldn't be here to talk about it. But they don't have any significance. The universe wasn't designed for us at a fundamental level. The universe isn't even consistent with our existence. It's only because of accidents that have taken place that produce this illusion that have also produced the conditions that allow us to exist and have this conversation. Hmm. You also you also try to answer the fundamental question, why are we here? And Yeah, and by the way, whenever I say why, I always mean how. Because, because <laughs> okay. why has no meaning. Why assumes purpose. Okay. It, it, you know, ask any question. Why does your heart beat? You know, it doesn't. You don't really mean. Is it? Do, did someone make your heart beat? You want to know what's the physical mechanism. Really want to know how does your heart yeah, beat. Yeah, yeah. And 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 so whenever I say why, um, you know, just like I did in my last book, why is there something rather than nothing? What I really mean is how is there something rather than nothing? But the question, what, what I really show in this book is, is that science does address this question, why are we here, in the sense of showing that we are a cosmic accident. That there are conditions that allow us to exist, and it's amazing that they happen to allow us to exist. But in order for that to happen, this whole hierarchy had to build up on top of fundamental laws that, that really would produce, if, if they were manifest, would produce a universe that doesn't look anything like the universe we see. And that... And that our existence is this wonderful, precious accident that we shouldn't be depressed about, but we should ex be excited about. Because if it didn't happen, we wouldn't be here. Mm. Um, but it does more than more than anything point that the universe isn't designed for us, that we are not the center of the universe. And I think I try and address these foundational questions, like why is there something rather than nothing, and why are we here? Because religion usurped them, and religion doesn't answer them, but science does. In, in, the, in the best way we can answer things. And so I think it's time to take back these foundational questions because so much has happened. It allows me in each case, in the, my last book, to talk about the revolutions that took place in cosmology over the last 40 years. This book allows me to talk about the revolutions that have taken place in particle physics over the last half century. Largely unheralded revolutions that are, I think, are great significance. We tend to think that, okay, the turn of the 19th, of the 20th century, the period from 1905 to 1925 was the great period when relativity and quantum mechanics was developed. But as I argue in the book, I think the period from 1955 to 1975 is in many ways more revolutionary, yet people don't know about it. And so I wanted to, I wanted to allow people to understand it. This is interesting. Can you just shortly describe what happened in that period that is even well, more Well, in the beginning of the period, we understood as a quantum theory, one force in nature. Mm electromagnetism. It was a big success at the time of the war with Feynman and others. 
we understood a theory called quantum electrodynamics, which is the quantum theory of electromagnetism. But there are four forces in nature, and we had no idea how to understand the others. And by the 1975, we understood three of the four forces in nature with a fundamental theory that actually helped us understand even electromagnetism better. And even the same mathematics governs the, the fourth force, general relativity. Our whole picture of the fundamental nature of forces and the forces and particles that, that make up the universe completely changed. So we, we went through this period of knowing very little to basically having a theory that describes every observation we've ever been able to make. Uh, frustratingly well, in a sense, because it's nice to be wrong, because then it would, might point to, to new physics. But it was a complete revolution in the way we thought about the fundamental universe. And that's what I wanted to talk about in the book. But even later, uh, wasn't it even later than that where we could experimentally verify quantum entanglement, for example? Well, yes, and yeah, that's, that's a true. Big thing. Well, but 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 I have to say that no one who understood quantum mechanics seriously doubted that that entanglement uh -huh. was there. Okay. I, I mean, it was something. It's important to test it. Uh, but but uh, but that's different than 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 not understanding the fundamental physics and not understanding how to describe the forces of nature and then suddenly understanding the mathematical principles and the symmetries of nature that allowed us to understand and, and unify theories that were compl seem completely different. The, uh, progress in science, as I describe in the book, it certainly in physics is characterized by taking things which on the surface seem very different and showing their different manifestations of the same thing. And that's exactly what we did. These two very different forces in nature, as different as different could be, are now understood to be really manifestations of the same thing. It's just an accident of our circumstances that one looks different than the other. And then the same kind of mathematical principles allowed us to describe the, 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 the next force, a strong force. And now we think ultimately those forces will themselves be unified and we're doing experiments to try and see how. But there is, as I, understood, as, as I understand it as an amateur in physics, there are still problems to integrate gravity into this. Of course these. there are. Yeah. yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. That means there's work to do. We don't, gravity has resisted all attempts at trying to understand it as a quantum theory. And, and Is it fundamentally something different, you think? We don't know. You don't know. No, we don't know. I mean, the mathematics that governs gravity is very similar to the mathematics that governs the other forces. So in one sense, it doesn't seem different. But of course it is because it's related to the properties of space and time in a way that Yeah, it's the not aren't. a force. Really, well, it is, is it? and it is a force. I'm, okay. If you don't believe that, get up, go out your window and jump. And, and <laughs> what, what and, I mean, it's it's a it's a, it's a, it's the rule. It's the space that is. Well, yeah, but the distorted. other forces are manifestations of what we think of as an internal space. Very uh -huh. similar mathematics. Okay. okay. Uh, but nevertheless, obviously there are fundamental differences and. We don't know uh, what will be required to, to whether whether gravity can be unified, whether it will be unified with the others. I, I, I suspect it can be and will be. Will it be in any form similar to what people think now? Well, you the results of history generally are that um, most good ideas are wrong, and so uh, um, uh, you know string theory is a nice idea, but will it be the will it? Be the be all and end all. I, I see no evidence yet. Mm -hmm. 
Going back to what you said before that you want to take back these fundamental questions to science from from religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think, I mean, you could call this some kind of existential science in a way that uh, tries to answer questions like why are we here, where well, are we going and well, so on. I, yeah, well, ex- uh, yeah, except it is science. It's not, my, not, it's not, it is existential. What amazes me, the reason I've written these last two books is because 25 years ago, when I was a student even longer, I never thought these questions did not seem relevant for science. And mm. science has progressed so much that it can now begin to address these questions. That's that exactly I find that what amazing. I mean. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's exactly what I mean. Yeah. In a way, it, science might be able to replace theology in, 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 in humans. Well, it already has, in, 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 for anyone sensible. <laughs> for anyone sensible. Well, well. I mean, well, I mean science obviously needs to replace theology because it actually describes how the universe actually works. Yeah, yeah. But, 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 it, but, but what, can but it I know what you're getting me? at. Theology mm. somehow addresses these questions these, that people have in their hearts, and it somehow fills a, a need that they have to be able to understand yeah. their place in the universe. Exactly. And create meaning. Them, create meaning. Yeah. And, and, and can and, science replace that? Well, science helps us understand how to create meaning yes because it gives us it tells us how the world really works and then we make our own meaning Mm. the difference of science is that it doesn't tell us there's any absolute meaning for our existence there's no absolute purpose to our existence but it means that within the context of this uncaring universe that evolved without that would have evolved perfectly well if we weren't here we find ourselves living and it allows us to create a meaning that's more in the as i say more meaningful because Mm. it's real and it allows us to 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 appreciate. I think it makes life more precious, um, and makes us demands of us to create our own meaning, and not and not sit by the wayside and let someone, uh, some you know, old guy in the sky determine what what's important. But do you ever? I mean, completely independent of the problem of religion. But do you ever think about what's the What's the purpose of of doing all the things you do? I mean, uh, uh, what does it matter in the end? It doesn't matter in the why, cosmic why sense. Not? It matters to me. I'm a lot. I'm the point is once we realize that our existence has no existential meaning in mm. the universe, no cosmic significance, then we have two choices. We can despair about that, or we can say, then, then my entire experience is, I have this amazing fortuitous gift of having intelligence and consciousness and cognition and I have this limited amount of time on uh, to, to have that well that makes every moment more precious and means why not use that to experience the world in every way we can and so um, that's why it's worth doing because we can do it and um, and it's very satisfying I do think evolution has hardwired people to want to solve puzzles and solving those puzzles is very satisfying. And asking questions is 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 satisfying. And 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 having mysteries is fascinating. It's a reason we write fiction books. Uh, mm-hmm. So all of those things make life worth living. And and the life itself is worth living if you live it, if you take advantage of those great opportunities. I don't think that you need anything else. I obviously agree with you, but still I'm thinking there are so many people out there who doesn't care about science at all. How do we well, make them more interested in science? Well, they do care about science. They just don't know what science that they care about, right? Okay, but... We're but, all born mm. scientists. And, and all, any kid who puts his... 
hand in a, in yeah. a candle, this becomes a scientist. Yeah. I think people are partly by the educational system, they're steered away from science, but I think the way we make people care is by changing education to solve, make it around questions and not answers. Science isn't just a bunch of facts. Mm. It's a process for deriving facts, and that process is fascinating and useful and necessary in people's lives. And I think what we need to do is make the process of discovery a process of discovery for everyone. So children aren't given some facts about the sun and the earth. They discover them for themselves. And that joy, I think, is something that everyone can have. And and, and just, look, the ideas of science are so amazing that once people open their eyes to them, no one can help but be amazed by looking at a Hubble Space Telescope picture. Mm. I'm sorry. I'm, I never met anyone who doesn't look at some of those pictures and and and. Uh, and and isn't amazed. So if that's the case, then then if you're not, I'm sure Donald Trump isn't amazed. But then he has, <laughs> he's brain dead. So <clears throat> yeah, but he he actually he succeeded in communicating with voters. Obviously, well, con artists are extremely good at communicating with people. Yeah. that's how they. That's why they're good con artists. He's been a con artist his whole life, and he's now the ultimate con artist. The difference, the unfortunate thing is that that um, unlike. Uh, most con artists who just get money for themselves. This man is is uh, affecting the world. Uh, it, it, once it comes to politics, ultimately the con becomes self-evident, and that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy. But I mean, we should we would need more scientists doing what you do, like writing books and do debates and so on. There are so many scientists who doesn't interact with well, ordinary people. We don't need all scientists to do that. In fact, as I often say, we're going to keep many many of my colleagues. We want to make sure they don't talk in public. <laughs> okay. But 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 there, but some but some scientists need to do it, yeah. and and um, and we need to get more people just using the process of science. You don't have to be a scientist to argue that you need empirical evidence should be the basis of public policy, and we need to question. We need to look at many different sources. All of those things and. I want to. I try to tr make that more, more broad, and and try and encourage people to, to to take the up that 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 lifestyle in their own lives. So going back to to America and Trump now. I mean, what what, what how if we have to. how are, how are you going to get yourself out of this mess? Oh, I uh, um. Well, maybe I'll move. Uh, yeah, but but to but, Sweden, maybe. Uh, well, who knows? But but I don't know how the U.S. will. I think I think I can't help but think that the that well, in my optimistic days, that the system will overcome him. In particular, that he won't survive his full term. Um, and I keep thinking that's the case. But we shall see. Uh, I think it's the sad thing is, you know, it would be okay if he just. I won't use the word I was going to use. It'd be okay if he just screwed up the United States. But um, the sad thing is he's going to hurt the world at the same time. And yeah. so hopefully the system will overcome him and this too shall pass. Um, and you know what's nice in that sense? It's the same thing that I found when, when George W. Bush was elected. What it does do is at least it's radicalizing some young people who are beginning to realize the need to begin to become politically involved and, and care about these issues and do something. I mean, Trump was elected largely, I think, because people uh, were weren't sufficiently involved. Um, that they were uh, they didn't care, and they and they didn't care enough to think about what the consequences would be. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think uh, they were apathetic.
And I think the, ap- the, the, the more we can remove apathy and the more we can try and speak out and keep speaking out enough to also drown out the, the voices of ideology and hate and fear because those people are, are very active. We need, we need to continue to do that. But, but I do think the young people that I speak to, of course, it's self-selecting, but I like to think that, that, that when people see, ultimately, it's amazing to me how many people are still deluded, but ultimately these things will come back and bite people in the butt when they lose their health care or, mm. or if hopefully not, but if the U.S. goes to war and, and the people will see the propaganda is very useful, but ultimately, I can't help but think that the truth will 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 be visible. Maybe I'm uh, naive, but but uh, we'll see. No, but that's an interesting point because he's actually letting down his own voters. He doesn't well, even do what he promised them. Yeah, well, that's right. But the sad thing is, people are off still often vote against their own interests, and so. Mm. It's still many of those people who are going to be let down will continue to believe, even when they lose their health care, that it's not his fault. Because he'll tell you it's someone else's fault. He lies on average five times a day. And, and it's amazing. It's, it's an example of the fact that, that democracy without an informed electorate is a pretty useless form of government. So <laughs> I know you have a political scientist in America. What's his name? Jason Brennan. Okay. I think who suggested that you should you should select ten thousand people and then educate them and then let no, only them ni- vote. It's nice <laughs> to talk about that, but I, I think what we it need to do work, is to try and encourage. Look, you either believe in democracy, or don't, and and I think it, it's it's demonstrating that that there's a greater need to inform the public, and I think journalism's a, a large part of the problem. I think journalists were hugely. Op- the biggest part of the problem in that election because journalists, it's a business and the, the amount of ink that they gave to a man. Look, I just read the New York Times today, which is still my new favorite newspaper in the United States. And it was, the, the headline was a whole story about how Trump was, was friendly today with the head of the Senate who, and it's clear they despise each other. But in a normal, in a normal president, you wouldn't waste ink on that. But now it's, it's like, Anything he does, because the the bar is so low, gets covered, and all that does is continue to promote him. So, so journalists have to be a lot smarter and and, and a lot more educated themselves. And I think the pro- I thought that was a problem in the with the Iraq War. I think it's a, it was a huge part of the problem of 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 um, of uh, 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 the election in the yeah. United States and maybe another country. I talked the other day in this podcast with Loretta Napoleone, who is an uh, expert on international politics. And she says that the the leader of North Korea is a much more rational leader than than Trump. Well, it's it's hard to know. I mean, the point is, some of the things he says, uh, certainly about Trump, uh, and, uh, and, and it is not irrational for North Korea to want to have nuclear weapons. Given, no, exactly. That's given, what she said. Yeah, I mean, it be given given the threats made against them, yeah. and the, given the history of what happens to what the United States has done to countries that don't, and that's part of. I mean, I'm chairman of the board of the Bolton the Atomic Scientists. That's part of the problem. Is that the the nuclear have countries are not acting in a way that satisfies their requirements under the Non-Proliferation Treaty. They should be disarming and not acting in ways that encourage the non-nuclear states to get nuclear weapons. Mm. And it's, uh, the, so it's not a rational 
for them or Iran or another country to want that. And we've got to make it irrational. We have to make it not... We, we have to do what we can to not encourage countries to get nuclear weapons. And that's no. a big problem. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why we set the doomsday clock. Because uh, North Korea, uh, exactly, they want the nuclear weapons just not to be attacked. Well, that's, I mean, one hopes that's the case. I, I don't think that Kim Jong-un is a necessarily rational person. <laughs> and maybe he has other plans. But certainly, it's not irrational to want them not to be attacked. And it's also clear, I think, given American history, that if, if they didn't have nuclear weapons and if they didn't have that huge army, that that they would be likely to be uh, to have their sovereignty undermined and the united states mm. has been willing to do that before and um and would be willing to do it again yeah uh finally th this year's uh, nobel prize gravitational waves mm -hmm. uh, would you say that it's the sort of biggest uh, discovery in physics for this century no, no? but it's a but it's an amazing discovery i think it's uh I think it's 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 it 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 really is a testimony to the to the persistence and ingenuity of physicists to be able to to do. I never would have believed that it would be possible to do what they could do, and it, I was skeptical when we spent money on the uh -huh. experiments. Okay. It just seemed like it would be impossible to do it. It's it's a wonderful, fantastic discovery, and it opens up a new window in astronomy. It will be the new astronomy of the twenty first twenty second centuries. In fact, just this week and new announcement was made by using gravitational waves in combination with other observables that's changing the way we can we can understand the universe so so it it, it changes everything it's been an exciting time that the higgs field was a the higgs was a great discovery and the discovery of dark energy was a great discovery it's an exciting time in science but but this is an amazing saga of uh, of ideas and then an experimental effort to be able to do something that seems like it should be impossible, and and it's certainly of course worthy of the Nobel Prize as an effort, and it will change the future. Um, it gives us new window on the universe of an invisible universe that we wouldn't see otherwise. It is like living at a time when Galileo first turned his telescope to the moons of Jupiter and first saw the moons of Jupiter, and and so every time you open a new window on the universe, it op it opens up. It, it, we're surprised, but it opens up a vast new set of possibilities, and this will. So, so in, it's an incredibly important discovery. I, I tend to not rank things in general, mm -hmm. but it's an incredibly great discovery, and um, I look forward to learning not just from that, but to seeing gravitation waves from a region which is much more interesting to me, gravitation waves from the beginning of time, mm -hmm. which I've thought about and written about, and I would love to see those discovered because those will help turn metaphysical questions into physical questions. Those may help us actually know if there are other universes, for example. Because that was my last question. If you were in the uh, committee to decide the Nobel Prize in Physics, what, who, what would you give the prize next year to? What discovery or what? Well, uh, you know, one of the good... Th uh, <laughs> what I bet. would say. No, one of the great things that makes me happy every year is that I'm not on the Nobel Prize committee. Although I have been right very often, and I did actually nominate for 10 years, and everyone I nominated won, so I'm very happy about that. Oh, but, okay. But, but, Give me your bet uh, for next year now. No, I would have bet. I, this, this year was easy. I, bet, I knew what it, In fact, I was very happy that an Indian journalist contacted me afterwards because he said, he'd contacted me six months ago, and he said, what three people, who will win the Nobel Prize? And I said, 
And I said, probably Ray Weiss and Kip Thorne and Barry Barish. And he said I was the only one who actually got the right three. Really? So so I was I was pleased that I got that right. Oh, that's but good. it's a crapshoot. But there are lots of, you know, um, there are many areas of physics. And the area of physics that I'm interested in um, is only one of them. And so there's lots of interesting discoveries that may have to do with, with probing the quantum nature of the quantum engineering, quantum entanglement, quantum computers. I mean, quantum computers is a little premature, but new materials that are being developed using quantum mechanics are important. Okay, so that's a candidate at least for Well, I think year. it's a candidate. I wish it was a, I wish the people who had first proposed dark energy would be a candidate, but I don't think that's going to happen. Entanglement, Anton Seilinger maybe? I mean, there are wonderful quantum mechanics experiments, and Anton Seilinger is, is an example of someone who, who might who might be a for for that work that they've done, you know, it's it, it it the committee has to decide whether it's <laughs> premature or not. Okay. But uh, but the one thing is wonderful is the Nobel Prize committee works hard, and the day after the Nobel Prize announced, they start thinking about the next year. Yes. And that's why they don't blow it as much as the other prizes because, you know, there there are a lot of prizes around, and I'm always amazed at how little work they do and they and how faddish they are in terms of giving it out. But um, anyway, <laughs> it's just a prize, and unfortunately, we we put too much emphasis on it. And, and and I really do think it's beginning in some sense to, to be anachronistic because in, in physics at least, um, to, to, the restriction to give this prize to three people makes it seem like it's, it, it's three people. And if gravitation waves, for example, there are three people who were very, very important to make that experiment happen and they, they happen to get it. But there are lots of other people without whom the experiment wouldn't have been done. Thousands and thousands. Same with the discovery of the Higgs. Science is, is, a, is a community effort and more the, now than before. Certainly more now history, than before. Yeah. And and the Nobel Prize gives the illusion of, of that, that individuals have a huge impact. Mm. Uh, and of course they can. But and, and you know what what's good is they make a very important work very hard to make sure that they don't give it to the wrong people. So the people who get it are are generally, you know, have made significant contributions. But what's sad is that there are a tremendous number of people who make significant contributions as significant who don't. And so it's arbitrary, and all prizes are arbitrary. And I've won prizes that I that you know uh, that I may not have deserved, and I haven't won prizes that I may have deserved. It's arbitrary, and I guess it's just the process of life. But we should focus more on the work than the prizes. I think. Okay. Thank you very much, Lawrence Krauss. Thank you. Thank you.